Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. The union and the owners have failed to come to an agreement and the baseball season is delayed. Baseball is making more money. The players are making less money. Now, I understand if you're Grambling, you're looking over at Jackson State, you're like, no, we want some of that. My imaginary son, and I bring him up all the time. Great young man. I am excited about it because this is a defensive guy. Like our coach said, his resume speaks for itself. The American public, you win, people tend to get at amnesia about other things. As Ohio folks, we would have locked the doors on them, man. <laughs> Find me if you want to and pay me. I don't give a damn. You can just add that to the list of things he's f***ed up behind this invasion. They want people to put pressure on him to stop this. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once Our again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, Mama, there goes that man. You ladies and gentlemen, star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have joined us again. Welcome back. And if this is your first time, welcome aboard. And we want you to keep coming back. And we want you to also be interactive and participate and be part of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade community. So this time out, we have a great show coming up for you. But first and foremost, let me tell you ways to be interactive. We have a sports line, 24 hours a day that you can call, leave a message, a comment, a question, 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. Call, leave a message, and you could be a part of the very next podcast. So that's one way to be interactive. Another way to be interactive is joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook. That is a way that you can participate, get to know some of the other folks on board. In addition to that, there are a lot of posts. There are questions, comments, poll questions, and uh, you can post things about your favorite team or your favorite athletes or whatever you want to do. That's on Facebook. You can like the fan page as well. The website will be resolved one way or the other next week. Which is, by the way, Wade's Word Production. So you definitely want to check that out. So all of those are ways that you can be interactive with what we do here. So you just don't have to listen to the podcast. You can be a part of the podcast in various ways. So we look forward to having you do that. Also, like, subscribe, comment on any of the platforms, whether it's iHeartMedia, Apple Podcasts, whatever, Spotify, wherever you find us. Be sure to like, comment, and share with your friends this time out we have a conversation with texas southern head coach johnny jones he is headed to the swag tournament with his team had a chance to check in with him before his team jetted off to birmingham you'll hear that conversation in addition to that we have some sports entertainment some sports e with life on lock and back from the special teams unit our guy daniel ewing he is a duke blue devil and he was in durham he was in 
in Cameron Indoor Stadium for Coach K's final game. We talk about that, and we talk about playing international basketball. We also have on the Mon Award for the big dummy of the episode, and we will hear from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, and more. So normally we start with headlines, but instead I want to jump right into the conversation with Coach Johnny Jones. Here are his comments and his thoughts heading into the SWAG Tournament. Here with Coach Johnny Jones. Coach, before I ask you about the SWAG tournament and the season, the first thing I want to talk about is the atmosphere at the H&PE on Saturday night. What a, an incredible atmosphere. Of course, it was a huge rivalry game with Prairie View, but for that energy and that turnout, what does that do for your, your team and for you as a coach? Was, uh, the crowd was electrifying. It was exciting when you had nearly 8,000 people in that building and they're screaming uh, and, and, and giving you that energy and providing. And the big thing for me, you tell these kids, if they're playing a certain way, uh, your fan base get excited, they will come and see you. So when we were able to come out there the other night, I told those kids, this is what you signed up for. This is what you've been looking for. This is what you worked so hard for. Let's go out and enjoy it and make sure that we do our part and giving them the type of show that they deserve. And so I thought our guys did want a heck of a job of playing in front of it, but at the same time, it was an amazing crowd. And I think when you start talking about some of the greater rivals in college basketball, this certainly have to be up there, uh, right up there with them. Coach, and I saw you get real energetic and really engaged with the fans from the floor right after there's video on social media going around with you celebrating. What does that do? You've coached multiple places, but what does that do for you when you're able to connect with the crowd the way you were able to Saturday after that victory? Well, I think uh, the people here know that we're plugged in. That's the main thing. And, and you've got to be 10 toes in, meaning that that, that you, you're all the way and, and you don't have one foot in, one foot out. Our guys know that. And so when you win in like that and you put everything into it and you're successful, it means a lot. And I know what our guys had put into it uh, is this season. That was the last game of the regular season. It was our seniors. We were able to send them out the right way. And I know what our crowd put into it. I know what our fans came for. And at the end of the day, to be able to connect with them, uh, at the end of the day, to leave off that floor and be victorious uh, that way uh, certainly meant a lot to us. And so I couldn't go up and high-five every one of them. So I just tried my best to know uh, to do what I could to let them know that we were all connected and celebrating together. Well, Coach, you talk about that victory, last second victory. Of course, Grisham goes, Bryson Grisham goes to the line, hits those two big free throws. Talk a little bit about coming out victorious after you have fallen behind. Your team really didn't shoot well from the perimeter, and yet when it was time, you guys still were able to get it done. How important is that kind of win heading into the SWAG tournament? Well, we understand that free throws cost us some games not too many games ago. And uh, we were certainly disappointed. So when you have a senior who's a fifth-year guy, been there and and been in some pressure situations, step up to that line with um, nine seconds left on the clock and bear both free throws. And we talked about having ice water in your veins 
to be able to knock those shots down. And it wasn't like he was going in there and we were tied. It was a tie ball game. We were ahead. We were actually one down. We needed both of those to win the basketball game. And he delivered in an unbelievable manner going up there and, and, and making those. And I thought it talked to spoke a lot about the character of the young man. It talked about how focused he's been and really the impact that he's really made on our basketball team and our program the time that he's been here. Now, we've had the other, I think, um, seniors uh, stepped up and, and made some huge plays as well. But I thought his really stood out because of the moment uh, that he was put in and to be able to deliver for his basketball team that way. Well, Coach, you have almost a spoil of riches when you look at this roster, and you have so many interchangeable pieces. How difficult has it been to sort of find your rotation, find the groups that work together, find the, the combinations that work best for this team? Well, a good thing, I think we have good chemistry. Uh, with this team and any number of guys can play together. And that's what we've kind of gone through all season long. So it's not one group that overshadows the others. Obviously we have guys uh, that are a little better uh, in doing certain things on the floor uh, than others. But I think that's the key in, in other guys roles being defined and understanding what your strong suits are and playing to it. And uh, regardless of who you're on the floor with and each player out there should know what his teammate's strong suit is, especially if you're out there the post guy. What does he like the ball? Where should I throw it? Where is the scoring point? Should I throw this guy on the break? And where is it a good decision maker from that from that spot? So our guys should know that. Are you a three-point shooter, post-up guy? And, and I think our guys are doing a good job playing their role. Our field goal percentages has gotten better. Our turnovers have gone down. Uh, against uh, tough competition. So those are things that have been identified and our guys have gotten better. I think it's a luxury uh, for us to have the type of depth that we have on the team and uh, interchangeable guys for certain positions. And I may think that's more of a problem for our opponent than us. And that's something we're certainly excited about. Well, you bring up a great transition to my next question. Unlike a lot of traditional teams where you had the one or two guys you have to concentrate on, you don't know whose night it's going to be on that Tiger team. How difficult is it to defend a team where any given night points can come from anywhere? That's what's difficult, I think, about us. And and I just imagine prepping and getting ready. And I'll put myself in another coach's position prepping, getting ready, doing a scouting report for our team, the number of minutes that our guys are playing, the impact that any of those guys can possibly make in making plays and have uh, big nights against you, and from what they're averaging to what they're capable of doing, it's, it's a nightmare doing a scouting report because you're spending so much time trying to give your team information on 10 and 11 guys. Um, and instead of talking about six or seven guys, you're talking about 10, 11 guys that these guys got to process and be prepared and be ready for. Then they've got to talk about what they're going to try to take away from us and what they're going to give us. So it's almost one of those deals you pick your poison. Where do you want to get, get hit from? In our guys, you can get hit from the outside. Uh, if you want to come outside, we can throw it inside and play one-on-one basketball because we've got post guys who are finesse, physical, and tough enough to make plays in there. So uh, I certainly agree. It's, it's tough in terms of scouting and getting ready. Uh, but at the same time, uh, as I said before, I think that's one of the things that make us a, a real tough out 
uh, with folks in their preparation. Well, you're winners of 10 of your last 12, and you head into the SWAG tournament. You open the SWAG tournament. Do you want to be the first team out, or do you want to sort of let someone else get started? Obviously, you don't have a choice, but how does it feel to be the first game of the SWAG tournament? What we look at is our next opponent, and that will be um, Jackson State. And we're not worried about who went in before and who's going to be playing afterwards. We've got one mission. And that's to go out and hopefully execute and do the certain things we need to against the Jackson State team. We don't uh, really have a chance to really get caught up in anything else. And after that game, obviously, if we're successful, which we're very uh, hopeful that now our preparation will begin for that Friday and whoever that next opponent may be, and that team will be playing, obviously, on, on Thursday night. Uh, so we don't get caught up in the wins, wears, and the times. We're just excited about the opportunity uh, that we have to be one of those eight teams that are, are, are playing in this postseason and hopeful that we can uh, advance and survive in advance and put ourselves in position to get to an NCAA tournament. So you split with Jackson State this season. Talk a little bit about that team in your opener, and what do you see when you look at the Jackson State team? They're a very good and talented basketball team. They've got numbers. They've got guys. They've got experienced guys from a team that went undefeated in the league last year. Granted, they didn't play a full roster, but the games that they played, they won. They were undefeated. They were one of the top-rated teams in our conference this year, picked high. Uh, in conference play. Uh, they've got all conference guys uh, in McGinnis and it's uh, returned to their basketball team, defensive player of the year. So they certainly um, present a challenge for you when you're playing them. And we've really got to be ready. They knocked us off early in the season. I think it was maybe our, our first uh, few games of the season. And uh, it's one of those situations that, that uh, we were fortunate when we had them at home that we've played one of our best all-around games offensively and defensively. So uh, it's going to be a chance for us. And, again, it's that third game, and uh, both teams will be ready. Both are celebrated because of the fact that we know each other. Both have uh, won uh, before. And uh, so this third game, obviously, will be the tiebreaker of the season series. And um, both, I think, teams will be confident going into uh, Wednesday night couple more things before we let you get out of here. want to talk a little bit about the depth of the conference. Obviously, you can only play one team at a time. But at this point of the season, is it, are matchups more important or just how well your team is playing? I think you really have to worry about your team. You can't worry about the matchups. You've got to go out and execute the things that you do best. And uh, that's on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. And that's cutting down on your turnovers, executing offensively with your shots, making your shots, knocking down your free throws, and defensively making sure that you have your opponent scouted, that you can try to force them into their weaknesses and not allow them to play to their strength uh, for most of the night. And if you be able to do those kind of things, there's a chance that you have a chance to be successful. So we don't get too caught up in, in our opponent. It's more about us. We feel like some of the games we lost this uh, or had setbacks in this season, it was because of uh, some self-inflicted wounds, free throws, not making them, uh, not having a great shoot. And those are the things that you have to put together uh, for three days when it comes conference tournament. Uh, and not so much about your opponent, but you really got to focus on yourself that you're able to execute at a high level offensively and defensively. 
Now, Alcorn wins the regular season title, but it seems because of the past success and the tradition of success in March for Texas Southern, we seem to be a team that a lot of other teams sort of target. Do you feel like, although you didn't win the regular season title, you are one of the hunted teams and not not hunting as it pertains to your past success being something that everybody in the conference looks at? Well, I think at the end of the day, we know what everybody – uh, when the season start, what our hopes are, and that's getting to the NSA tournament. For us, that's going to have to go through uh, the conference tournament at the end of the day. Those three days that you have a chance to play uh, and be able to cut those nets down is what, what every, I think, team in our league is striving for. You prepare for preseason. You prepare doing conference play to hope your team is ready for that moment at the end of the day. So by us, been that team from a year ago uh, that had that experience. I think by it been uh, from over the last few years of being in the finals of that tournament, that at the end of the day, they know that Texas Southern is one of those teams that um, will be a tough out in a team that uh, uh, will be pushing hopefully to get to the championship and win the championship. Uh, so certainly feel as though that um, uh, there's always that uh, target that's out there, but at the end of the day, you're hopeful that your team is built uh, for that challenge when teams are coming after you, and uh, that's certainly a compliment. The teams are getting ready and preparing and thinking that you're that challenge, and we're hopeful that that's a little bit of an edge for us uh, at the end of the day because the people know that your history and the tradition of your program. Well, Coach, final question. A lot of uh, Tiger faithful will be, have their hands on the radio and tuned in. A lot of people are going to be with you guys in spirit, and a number of folks are going down. Uh, what do you say to the Tiger faithful who are just uh, can't wait to get this SWAG tournament started? Well, I just want them to make sure that they're on the edge of their seats. If they can't be there in person with us and have their face in the place, the next place to be is uh, sitting there uh, and listening to that radio and making sure that they're locked in as well. Uh, because at the end of the day, our guys, our coaching staff, and everyone else, we, we prepare for our fans. At the end of the day, that's who we play for. And we want to make sure that we put the best product on the floor. We play as hard as we possibly can to make sure that we can satisfy them in an entertaining way. And that's what we're in the business for. And certainly when things don't go well, we feel like there's a letdown and, and we've hurt you know, our, our base. And that's something that we don't take lightly so uh, we hope that they're loud and proud and look forward to them meeting us when we get back to help us celebrate if in fact we're able to cut those nets down in Birmingham Alabama on Friday night well coach on Saturday night I'm sorry yes sir coach well hey thanks so much for your time we're excited I'm excited and uh, no matter what this has been a, a tremendous season and we look forward to it continuing for the next few days at least well <laughs> well we certainly got some unfinished business and uh, we look forward to uh, getting to Birmingham and, and making sure, as I tell our guys all the time, it's a business trip. We need to go take care of our business. Thanks so much for your time, Coach. Yes, sir. Thank you, and go Tigers. For more content, go to wadeswordproductions.com.
want to thank Coach Jones for joining us. Man, I had an opportunity to call the game on Saturday night with Larry the Chatterbox Hill, and the atmosphere at the HMPE was incredible. Over 7,000 folks turned out for that one. It was it was really, really a whole lot of fun, and that's what college basketball is all about. And, boy, what a send-off into the SWAC tournament. And they tip off on Wednesday. If they win, they'll play on Friday in the championship on Saturday. So we got that conversation to you first. Going to take a time out. Come back on the other side with some headlines, with some sports E. We still have our conversation with Daniel Ewing and a whole lot more. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages 6 weeks to 5 years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. It's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. You just heard the voice of Shelly Wade. She has been all over the country doing radio, and she's going back to New York. So congratulations to Shelly Wade headed back to the airwaves of the Big Apple. Um, Yeah, a lot to get into in the world of sports. A lot of things happening. So let's keep it going with some headlines. In headlines, well, let's start with the NFL. A blockbuster trade as Russell Wilson is going to Denver. And that is probably going to soften my enthusiasm about the Seattle Seahawks. I've been really on them since they started their ascent. It's always been a great brand of football since Pete Carroll's been there, since Russell Wilson was there, and that legion of boom defense. Well, it's no more as Russell Wilson will head to Denver. So in that trade, the Broncos have agreed to trade quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Font, and a Fant, Noah Fant, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first-round picks and two second-round picks and a fifth-round pick in different years. So, I mean, but that's a big, big deal. And, boy, that AFC West is just, woo. Whoa, what can you say? Just about the quarterback position alone, you thought there were dogfights in the NFC West. Now the AFC West is going to be off the chain. Think about this. Derek Carr, is a, who is a very, very credible quarterback, he doesn't get the love that he sometimes deserves, and sometimes he is not as good as you would want him to be, but he's the worst quarterback in that division. And that's saying something because you have Justin Herbert at the Chargers. You have Russell Wilson in Denver. And, of course, you have Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. So those battles, just among those quarterbacks in that division, are going to be something else. And the AFC, can you believe it or not, got even tougher. 
So you got Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what's going on in the AFC at the quarterback position, not to mention the player who just took his team to the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow. So, I mean, quarterbacks galore in the AFC. In the NFC, the other huge deal was Aaron Rodgers signing his extension. So he played everybody like a funky piano. And in the end, he was never going to walk away. He was never going to leave. But what he was going to do is get paid. And he got paid in a major way. $200 million contract, $153 million guaranteed. And, hey, again, he remains the best quarterback in the NFC. And you got to say that if they lock down Devontae Adams, they're right back in the thick of things for making a run at the Super Bowl. And that's what a lot of moving parts. But with that move, the Packers have solidified themselves and secured their future. Now they'll just have to ship off Jordan Love because you don't want the guy to spend the first, what, six or seven, eight years of his career on the bench. Just ship him, see what you can get for him, and get a, a backup for Aaron Rodgers. The other NFL story, Calvin Ridley, the Falcons wide receiver, a guy who has done work for me on DraftKings and fantasy football which I gamble on. How ironic is it that I gamble on him, he gambled on the NFL, and he lost in a major way, suspended for the year. And you know what? It is a situation where people look at all of the punishments doled out by the NFL, and they say, this is not fair. This situation is not fair. You had Ray Rice. You had Kareem Hunt. You had this guy do that. That guy do this. Josh Gordon. And you're going to suspend this guy for a year for gambling? you damn right. And that's the right thing to do. Because let me tell you something. If you want to know the ugly truth, I mean, and I've said this over and over again, it's about money. Now, while the behavior of some of these players in the past and in the present and all the stuff that players do, just like people do, are, are heinous and horrible and, and reprehensible in the worst way. But unfortunately, those things don't impact the bottom line like cheating or the possibility of cheating or the appearance of impropriety or the appearance that something is not on the level. The worst thing you can do to any sport is to make people feel like the results aren't on the up and up. If they feel like in any way, the game could be rigged or manipulated by the players or the officials. I'm telling you, nobody would bet. Nobody would watch. The interest would plummet because if they know the results already, why am I watching? Where's the suspense? Where's the drama? They know what's going to happen. Now, you can say, well, wrestling, they do their thing. But, you know, that's so, those are scripted. Whatever that is, that is. That's a side show. That's not a real sport. Although those guys are athletic, it's not a real sport. It's entertainment. It's, a, it's almost like comic book characters come to life. But the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, if you have any questions about the legitimacy of the results, that sport will die a rapid death. So when guys gamble or get into gambling situations, that's the worst thing that can happen. So you got to go. And they know that. Calvin Ridley knew that. Now, there are some other issues that I have with this because the NFL is in bed 
with all of these companies that promote and, and offer gambling, whether it's FanDuel or uh, DraftKings or what Caesars Book and a number of other gambling outlets. I mean, you can see the spread anywhere. You can look on television and see what the spread is. That was for gamblers. So you can't have people not trusting the product on the field, at least as it pertains to the unknown outcome. I've been outspoken about saying Pete Rose gambled on his team. He shouldn't be in. I don't care if he did bet only on his team to win. You cannot gamble on baseball. You cannot gamble on football. But the NFL, I mean, it's a tough situation for them because now Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, if Brian Flores can prove that if he, if he has receipts that this guy actually offered him money to throw games, that's a huge issue. I mean, it's a huge issue anyway. But after you do this to Calvin Ridley, he has to go. And now whether that will ever happen, I don't think that will ever happen. But if they find out there's a smoking gun somewhere, he has to go because, again, you're tampering with the legitimacy of the game and it's just horrible. Now, what Calvin really did, was it that bad? No, it's not like Alex Carroll, uh, uh, Paul Horning, uh, or some of the other guys who've gotten in trouble. I think it's been five guys suspended in the history of the NFL for gambling. That's how serious that is. Think about all the other things that players have done. Homicides, manslaughter, stuff like that. There have only been five guys suspended for gambling on football, for players gambling on the NFL. That's huge because players take it serious. It's that serious. Here's my biggest problem, though, the way the NFL found out. I used to say this all the time, and nobody listened. The NFL is too powerful in certain areas. Now, he shouldn't have gambled, and whatever he gets, he gets. But the way they found out, he bet on hard on an app, the Hard Rock betting app or something like that. And the NFL has hired a third party to monitor whether or not players gamble. So Hard Rock, the app, reported to Genius. Genius is the company employed by the NFL to monitor these things. Now, that's scary in itself. And if you are Hard Rock or the the app people, why would you report him? Why, and then if you're the NFL, why do you let that get out? Because if you didn't think he really was trying to harm his team, he had no inside information, and that's what they're saying, then you have to look at the situation and say, man, we can keep this in-house. We can give him a stern warning. But to throw him out and throw him under the bus it's just, uh, wow, that's that's a lot. And it's, you know, people always say, well, the NFL, they should do this. The NFL is an employer. Do you want your employer to have a deal, a side deal with the company to monitor what you do? That's a, that's a whole lot. I know you're talking about millions and billions of dollars, but do you really want your employer hiring another company to spy on you or to monitor you? Now, again, spy may be a hard word, but to monitor your behavior, even if it's only in a very, very narrow area. 
I, I don't like that. I just don't like that, and and it's not cool. But for Calvin Ridley's part, he's like, yeah, man, I bet $1,500. I don't have a gambling problem. Uh, yeah, you do. You bet $1,500, and you lost $11 million. He's suspended for the year, and he'll lose his $11 million contract for next year. So, yeah, you have a gambling problem. It may not be the same kind of gambling problem Pete Rose had or Arch Schleister, but it is a problem. You lose $11 million. Now, I, that easily makes you the Lamont of this episode. You may get it. We may give it to someone else. But with that, going to get into some entertainment news with our very own Life on Lock. Here is Sports E. This week in Sports E. Sports E. Entertainment. Entertainment. The E is for entertainment. Hey, hey, y'all. I hope your day is going well and just got a little better now that you're listening to Sports E with Life on Lock. So last week, we talked a lot about heckling, especially with Tristan Thompson and the Miami Heat fans. But Thompson isn't the only NBA star getting heckled lately. So apparently the Celtics fans chanted Kyrie sucks late in the fourth quarter in Boston's latest game win. And Irving addressed the hate during a post-game interview. And he basically called the Celtics fans like that ex-girlfriend that you don't want to deal with. He said, it's like the scorned girlfriend who wants an explanation on why I left, but still wanting a text back. <laughs> he then ended the statement and the overall experience with the Boston Celtics saying it was fun while it lasted. Now, apparently the Celtics fans are still upset and they are going to let him know that they are upset every time and they're going to continue to boo, making sure that he's very well aware that they have not forgotten how he left the city hanging. Now, speaking of basketball games, Phoenix Suns player DeAndre Ayton recently celebrated his son's first birthday in his latest game by rocking his custom Elmo kit. Now, Aiden had the kicks made by Cleveland artist Van Monroe. And you guys, I saw the shoes on Twitter and they are so cute. They're so intentional. Like you can tell he said, I'm going to make sure my son is represented on this basketball court. Okay. But the best part about it was that he also scored a season high of 30 points while walking the shoes. And even though the Suns lost the game to the Milwaukee Bucks by 10 points, he did not let that stop him from dedicating his best performance of the year to his son, DeAndre Jr. And speaking of NBA birthday. Shaquille O'Neal pulled out all the stops this past Sunday to celebrate his 50th birthday. Yes, Shaq is turning the big 5-0, and he did it big. Now, his birthday bash was at Prime 112 in South Beach, Miami, Florida, where there was tons of food, Shaq-themed decorations, and plenty of guest stars. And there was even a video tribute that played featuring tons of sweet messages from many celebrities, musicians, and other big athletes. Now, okay, you guys know that if you have a birthday and you're getting birthday wishes from Kevin Hart, Ludacris, Charles Barkley, Vin Diesel, you know it's a good birthday. But beyond the love, he also got a custom Hellcat Charger earlier in the week to kick off the birthday gigs. So you guys know that I'm going to give you guys the scoop on all the birthday shenanigans that Shaq has coming up, as well as any other sports entertainment news. So be sure to follow me on social media at Life Unlock, And be sure to visit me right here next week for next week's edition of Sports E. I want to thank Life on Lock for the Sports E segment. Tell us what you think. 832-941-6614. Hit us up on social media and let us know. Going to take a brief time out and hear from our resident DJ. Come back on the other side with Daniel Ewing and Alamon Award. This is Sports Talk with Devin Wade Podcast. Anyway, 
You get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. DJ. him out on soundcloud on instagram around the city of houston doing his thing it's a vibe y'all i'm telling you that's our guy and he comes to us most of our episodes but if you have music you want heard on this podcast just email us music at wadeswordproductions.com that's music at wadeswordproductions.com the genre doesn't matter but we want it to be radio edit we'll edit it for radio even though this is a podcast, a little bit different, but we still want to be sort of family friendly. But just email us. We'll play a snippet at the halfway point and an entire track or an extended portion of a mix at the end of the show. You hear that, DJs? You can get in the mix as well. Music at WadesworthProductions.com. About to get into our conversation with Daniel Ewing, but one of the things I wanted to ask him about was Brittany Griner. Hear my thoughts on Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner has been detained by Russian authorities for three weeks in Russia, where Putin is running the invasion. Russia, she's stuck there. In jail because she had some hashish oil in her vape pen, which is, a, I guess, a, a drug. Again, you, uh, some of the semantics of this drug situation, essentially it seems like it's some sort of marijuana, right? H- hashish oil. I think that's right, right? So anyway, an illicit drug, illegal in Russia. She was detained at the airport. And it's an unfortunate situation. Timing could not be worse. It's also pretty bad when you think that some of the biggest stars in women's basketball cannot make a living here in the United States. I mean, they can. They can make a living. But to make the kind of money uh, that really will set them apart and and make them truly professional athletes, you look at uh, going overseas. 
and she had to go overseas. But when you go overseas, you cannot play with these people. Now, she's been there for eight years, and I would imagine there's a level of comfort and familiarity with how things are done there. But she didn't get out in time, uh, given the political climate. And I suspect she'll be used as some sort of pawn and some sort of uh, object of propaganda to the Russian people. But that's really, really unfortunate. The thing that may help her is that she is a celebrity there as well. She's a native Houstonian, so we want our our girl from H-Town to be taken care of and and get back home as soon as possible. But what a, a horrible, horrible situation. She faces up to 10 years in jail. They just released a picture. But can you imagine how frightening that is? How scary that is with diplomatic relations being what they are between the United States and Russia right now? Wow. And people are like, well, why didn't this get out? Why didn't we know this? Well, I would imagine the State Department did not want to publicize this. And the Russian government didn't say anything. I mean, really, until they said anything, uh, that's when we found out, when they put it out. I think that they were going through back channels trying to resolve this peacefully and easily. Not so fast. So we'll have to monitor that situation. But good luck to Brittany Griner. Prayers up for you. Let's get you back to the States. With that, let's get into our conversation with a guy from our special teams unit. I'm talking about Daniel Ewing. He's our basketball expert. He played in the NBA for the Clippers. He played for Coach Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. He's a Duke Blue Devil, and he was there in Cameron Indoor Stadium for Mike Krzyzewski's last game, Coach K's last home game at Duke versus North Carolina. He, along with 95 other uh, former Devils, Blue Devils, Dukies, or whatever the nickname, you, whatever moniker you want to assign. And we talked to him about that and his professional career around the world. Here's Daniel Yu. Back again from our special teams unit, our basketball expert, Daniel Ewing is back aboard. Welcome aboard and glad to talk to you again for the first time in a long time. How you been? Man, I've been good, man. Appreciate you having me back on. Well, you've been doing some some basketball. I've seen you doing some – you doing television or radio. I've been seeing you on social media, you and Bob Slovak doing games. How's that been going? It's been good. This year's been slow compared to the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, Bob, man, has been real good about trying to keep me with some work going on with the TV stuff, calling some college games and some high school games. So that's that's been good for me. And how are you enjoying retirement? I mean, because, again, you know, since we first started visiting with you, you were just kind of winding down your professional basketball career. How are you enjoying retirement? Man, you know, they don't tell you that retirement ain't ain't what it really is. You know? <laughs> they, they don't tell you that, man. They don't tell you, like, really, like, after, like, a month or so, you really just get tired of just not doing nothing. But, like I said, just I've been able to have some do some stuff, like I said, with the TV stuff initially right after I retired, but then COVID hit and kind of messed that up. But then, like I said, I was able to pick back up on that and uh, just doing some stuff with, with kids here locally, some uh, coaching and training, mentoring uh, on the basketball side and looking to pursue that space uh, going forward. Well, that's awesome. Well, I wanted to talk to you because you were part of a select crew of 96 former players that went to uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium for Coach K's 
final game. It was a an electrifying weekend. Obviously, the result of the game didn't go the way you wanted to. But just talk a little bit about the experience of going back and really being amongst that fraternity of players who play for Coach K. Honestly, it, it was a it was an amazing thing to be a part of, and I'm glad I had a chance to get back there for it. There's never been a situation like that where you had that many players back at one time under you know under the roof under the camera indoor stadium roof uh, at at one game. So uh, it was almost like a family reunion, you know, just connecting with guys that you you know you you know the cousins that you really know, and then getting to meet and see some of the cousins that you've heard about, or you know distant cousins that you've never met. Uh, so to speak. Uh, so, I mean, I was good. It was good to catch up and see a lot of guys and, uh, you know, be back, uh, be back in, in Durham. So you were there from 2001 to 2005. Uh, talk a little bit about that group. Cause you, it was some horses on that team. It was uh Dunleavy, Mike Dunleavy. You had uh Duhon, you had, uh, well, that was in your early years. You had mm-hmm. uh, Jason Williams. Talk a little bit about Carlos Boozer. Then you play a year or two with him. Right. Yeah. So I can't, I came in my freshman year was the year after they had won the 2001 national championship with Shane Battier and some all those guys that you named. And so we was returning like eight players from that team. I was the only recruit that year. And so, man, for me, I was excited and, you know, coming off high school championships of my own, I'm thinking like, all right, man, we got a good shot to, to repeat, you know? So I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm about to have another winning season, but getting to play with those guys, man, Jay will, uh, Dunleavy, Booza, Duhan, Dante Jones was on that team. Host of other guys, man. It was, it was, it was a great, it was a great start to my collegiate career. Guys coming in like Sheldon Williams, JJ Reddick, uh, Lou Aldine, uh, some of the bigger name guys that I was able to play with uh, throughout my career. Yeah, man, I, I played with a lot of a lot of big time guys. Yeah, uh, you are uh, you particularly close to any one of those groups from those what three or four teams you played on? You know what? I was having this conversation with my wife, and it's kind of like I'm kind of like the lone wolf. Like I just told, I like I was the only recruit my year, and so I don't have like this big. I didn't come in with this big recruiting class like most other guys get a chance to do. And so yeah, so I kind of like. So you were the baby of the bunch when you first came in, and right. then by the time you were senior uh, upperclassman, you I'm were the, the only, only one. <laughs> right, right. You know, so so it's it's kind of weird my dynamics, but I'm cool with everybody. Like I said, I went back this this past weekend. And I hung out with the the O one team that won the national championship. So I hung out with those guys on Friday night. Uh, Saturday night I hung out with the ninety nine team, right? Which is a little bit older than me, but like I said, you know I know those guys, been talking to those guys a long time. Uh, so I hung out with the ninety nine team Saturday night. So you know a lot of my guys from the era I was there, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it. it was a few of us was there, but like just for a, a whole team of us wasn't there. So. So, yeah, so my dynamics as a Duke player is a little bit unlike most guys. Yeah, so so talk a little bit about being back in Durham. And, I mean, it must have been like uh, like a Hall of Fame weekend for all of the Duke faithful. And then so many people were back for this game. Ticket prices were astronomical. Talk about just being around in that atmosphere and what it felt like to be really an elite uh, well-respected hero in that region. What was that like over the weekend? It was all love, man. Honestly, it was all love. Like I said, to be amongst some of the, you know, some of the greats of all time that played at Duke, that wore the uniform, that have represented the program in the university. 
I can say I got my fair share of love, which, you know, which always feels good, you know, to walk in with certain people and, you know, you got fans pulling at you and asking for autographs and pictures. So that always feels good, man. But uh, it, was, it was good, man. The, I mean, like the fans definitely came out to support. Like I said, we had a abundance of players to be able to come back and support. So it felt good, like I said, but it was bittersweet. Yeah, well, I know you didn't get the result, but let's talk a little bit about Coach K and his impact on your life and what did he mean to you as a, a coach and how did that help you move forward in life? You know, what did you learn from him that you were able to take with you wherever else you've gone? Uh, I mean, coaches has developed a lot. of He's had a lot of experiences throughout his, his life and his career uh, that he, he uses in his teaching and coaching, uh, you know, from his West Point days to his, you know, his 1992 uh, dream team days, you know, being assistant on that team, you know, from winning his championship, early championship years with the first 91, 92. Like, so uh, you, you get so many different sides coach and he's a great family man, right? So you, you get so many different sides coach that he shares, you know, that, that you get to, you get to experience it and he shares. And so, man, I just think overall, man, I, I, I've learned a lot. You know, he helped me grow and develop as a young man. And obviously, you know, taught me, you know, coached me and taught me, you know, the game of basketball at a higher level. But, you know, just he had this saying about, you know, always being a moment, being being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. So I've always taken that with me, man, just trying to wear whatever I'm a part of, uh, just trying to make it bigger than, than myself. You know, want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself. So that's one of the things that's always stuck with me. So I know that he is, I mean, obviously the media just adores and loves Coach K and his results. So you can't, I mean, his resume is is up there with just about anybody. But is he a, a coach that's easy to get close to? Are you able to get close to him and like have that kind of relationship? Or is it just, hey, he's going to pull the best out of you as a human being, both on and off the court? Uh, I mean, it depends. You know, every coach, player relationship is different than the next guy. You understand? So um, it all it all depends. How was your relationship with him? Mine was more so, more so like the latter. Him challenging me on the court, uh, you know, to be you know to be the best I can be, you know, each season. But also, you know, that you know, becoming helping me become a leader, seeing those qualities in me, you know, for for future seasons. Uh, and I didn't understand it at the time, and it bothered me because he was on me as a freshman. You know, I'm like, man, we got this veteran team. We got the best player in the country on our team. Why do you keep messing with me about speaking up and being vocal? But he was trying to teach me and, you know, and prep me and mold me for seasons to come. And so, uh, like I said, looking back on some of the stuff that I, that, you know, that, that I went through and that, that the coaches was trying to teach me, I understand it a lot better now. And, you know, and uh, like I said, both as a young athlete and also, you know, grow, you know to be developed into a young man. Well, you talk a little bit about this weekend. Did you get a chance? Obviously, he had a game to coach. He had 8 million people pulling at him. Were you able to connect with him individually? Because, I mean, it was like 100 of you guys. Uh, were you able to, to connect with him at all over the weekend? No, I, I wasn't. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody was able to. Like I said, it was a lot going on between probably, I know, between practice and, you know, scouting and getting ready for the game. I'm pretty sure had we won the game, he would have made an appearance after the game, you know, where everybody was mingling and, you know, and, and hanging out at. But due to the way things turned out, I think, like I said, it was bittersweet. But 
I'm pretty sure he was ecstatic and and grateful to you know to see all of our faces and you know and, and that we was, all the guys the guys that was able to come out you know come out and support and you know and be there uh try to you know be there for him during that moment uh because it, I mean it was you know of course they had a game to play but that that was it was a moment it was it was his moment which sucks why you know it sucks about you know the guys not being able to pull out that W. You talk about losing that game to North Carolina. How was that rivalry? I mean, obviously, people outside of North Carolina don't quite understand that rivalry. But can you give us some insight into how intense and how just present that rivalry is in North Carolina 365 days a year? I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, Like you said, you can't really put it into words or explain it. You have to experience it, right? You have to be where, whether it's at Cameron or whether it's at the Ding Dome. The only way you can get the full grasp of understanding of the Duke Carolina robbery is you have to experience it one day, and that's the best way I can explain it. But yeah, like it's definitely homes and families are divided about this robbery. Uh, you know, so so yeah, it's serious. It, it's serious. Uh, Duke loses, but I mean, are they still, in your opinion, are they still number one seed heading into the tournament? Obviously, the ACC tournament will have something to do with that. But do you see them being a, a one or two seed? And how far can this team go? Uh, them losing kind of put them, I think, probably put them on the outside of being a one seed. Now, like you said, yeah, the ACC tournament situation always can improve that. You know, they go on to take care of business and win the ACC tournament. Uh, that'll definitely boost that their chances of being getting one of those one seeds, uh, but they'll definitely be a two seed for sure. That's a, I mean, that's without question. They'll definitely be a two seed, but uh, they might have a little bit of work to do losing that game the other night because the other teams had had they won because the other other uh, some of the other top teams that were ahead of them lost also. So had they won, they would have put them in a, themselves in a better you know in a in a in a sweeter situation going into the conference tournament. But this team has the potential. It has the potential to win. Now, a lot of stuff has to fall in place uh, due to the fact that, like I said, we're dealing with a lot of young guys. You know, you have one upperclassman and Wendell Moore who's had a hell of a season so, thus far, uh, but the rest of the guys you're depending on are underclassmen. And so these guys have never been through it before. They've never been through the fire before. And so, man, like a lot of stuff has to fall in place, and these guys have to have to be clicking on all cylinders every game for, for, for it to happen. So was North Carolina – that good or was this more do you think all the festivities were a distraction for this team heading into this game based on what i just said about the team's inexperience and having been through the fire and having been in any type of these moments right i think that uh more than anything it was the all the stuff going on being a distraction you know those just having too much coming at you no telling how many questions and interviews they was getting you know they were going through throughout the week and leading up to the game uh, but I think they had a had a part to do with it. Do with it. But also, they didn't they didn't take care of business from a basketball standpoint. They didn't take care of business in the second half, and so it didn't matter if it was Carolina or not. Like, you know, you just wanted to get that W on that night. Well, one final question about Duke before I transition: the direction uh, heading forward uh, as it pertains to the the, the next head coach. A lot of people thought Tommy Amaker might be the guy or some other names that were thrown around. Uh, what do you think about the choice and what other coaches would have been great fits for this team to succeed, Coach K? Well, I think John Shire is going to do a great job. Initially, I was a little caught off guard initially when he was announced as the successor. Uh, but, you know, after talking to some of the guys, 
former guys that you know that know a little bit more of me about you know about the about the situation. I'm much more confident about it now uh, because, like I said, like most people on the outside looking in, uh, you thought that you know some other guys might have had a better chance of being can- or even being candidates. And like I said, uh, I understand it better now why some of those guys wasn't realistic options, you know, for the for the program going forward uh, for various reasons. Uh, but what what I think a lot of people don't understand is that we didn't have a abundance of options to choose from to begin with. Uh, just in all honesty, we probably had like three legit candidates that we was talking about. Right, right. I think a lot of people think it was like a lot, like you know, what I'm saying like we have this long history of Duke, you know, Duke coaching tree, which you know, in some ways that we do, but it's not like maybe another program, you know. So we didn't have like. Seven to ten. You didn't have candidates. a Roy Williams out there, right? right. We didn't have like, and, like I said, yeah. right? We didn't like, and it, but yeah, uh, we didn't like Carolina. I think the Carolina coaching tree uh, is a lot deeper. Deeper, yeah, yeah, is a lot deeper than a Duke coaching tree, uh, just based on their history uh, of you know ha- of having coaches. You know, they Dean Smith was some time ago for them, right? Right. Uh, you know, so. Uh, so yeah, so I, I think realistically, people didn't understand that to to start off with. Quinn Snyder was Quinn Snyder a real candidate? No, you know, like right. Quinn Snyder had, is had doing a hell of a job with the Utah Jazz and the NBA. Unless Duke is his ultimate dream job, he wasn't considering taking that job. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's one person off the list that people might throw out there. What about Amaker? Tommy Amaker, obviously one of the pillars of you know. Guys who came who came in back in the eighties got it got started. This, he they got, got it started. Yeah. So obviously, you thinking, okay, does he get a shot? And I, you know, and he was in the he was one of the candidates, but realistically, was he the right guy for the job? I'm not sure. Uh, but based off what we just understood, that yeah, he was one of the guys that got it started. Played at Duke, had a great career. He's a head coach now. He's had head coaching experience at other you know at at, at some other higher levels uh, than where he's at now. But uh, I think him not being around for so long kind of was his default of not being, you know, the top candidate. I want to ask you about uh, the, the another situation in basketball, in professional basketball. It's the situation with Brittany Griner being detained in Russia. Uh, she is, a, of course, a, a huge, huge star in the world of basketball and makes a lot of money in Russia playing professional basketball. She's been detained for about three weeks now because she had some hashish oil in her vape pen or whatever. I don't know some of the specifics of of what was what, but whatever it was, it was enough to have her uh, arrested and detained in Russia Talk a little bit about, because of your vast experience playing overseas, talk a little bit about how it is to go into different countries and not maybe understand culturally how important the uh, certain laws or customs are. What was that like for you? Man, it, it's it, honestly, it's scary. I mean, because you don't, when you initially, I mean, even once you be over there for a while, you still don't know really what's what. But initially, when you first go over there, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who's who. You don't know how how things work. Like I said, culturally, you don't know really know the boundaries of you know what I'm saying of, of what to do, what not to do, what's respectful, what's not respectful. And so, yeah, man, it's it, it can be scary uh, being you know being a foreigner, and, you know, in a foreign land. Uh, yeah, you have to be very careful and cautious about the things that you do, man. Uh, especially in certain countries, anywhere in the world. Uh, but I think it's just. Her situation is heightened. Like I said, I don't know the, the, all the details or specifics, but her situation is heightened 
more so because of where it happened at and what's going on in the world with Russia. I think had, had this happened in somewhere, let's just say this happened in Italy, just throwing out a different country, then yeah, it would have made the news, but it wouldn't be as like, oh, like you know, it wouldn't be as heightened as it is. And she probably uh, would be home by now, I would think. Yeah, I mean, but then again, maybe not. <laughs> but, right, but maybe not because like yeah, like she did break the law. Like you know what I'm saying? Like that is that you are breaking the law. Uh, regardless of where you're at. But then again, from a worldwide, international, political side, you have to also understand the dynamics of Russia and American history, right? Right. She is an American citizen living in Russia. So, I mean, you have to, you have to understand those dynamics as well. Yeah, and you started your career in Russia. What was that like? Or not started, uh, but I mean, you played over there. Right. Initially, you started in the NBA, but then uh, you did play in Russia early on in your career. What was that experience like? It was different. Um, like I said, Russia is a great international city. Uh, once you get to know it and meet, you know, meet some meet some people there. But it was different, man. What like city I did you know, play in? I played in Moscow. Okay, so you in the capital? Yeah, so I'm 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 right there where it's happening. Yeah, I'm, you know. So like I said, it was. It's a great city, a great city to, to explore and to live and, you know, to, to try new things. Uh, I tell people all the time that it's a mix between if I had to describe the city so you could try to understand it. It's a mix between Las Vegas and New York City. Wow. Right. So it's, it's big and popping like a New York, right? Like a New York population is like a New York. The Vegas vibes come in where like if you have the money in, in Moscow, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not, and I'm not over exaggerating when I say that. Like, right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like, it's like a mix between Vegas and New York. Like, you know, they have the five-star restaurants and they have the billion, you know, people there with a lot of money, billionaires that live there and stuff or, you know, that, and so it's, it's a crazy city to live in and you have to be careful. Russian mafia is, is for real. So you're like, so it's a lot going on in a city like that. And so, like, did you feel free? Did you feel? Uh, did you? Uh, did you feel like this was a kind of an oppressive environment, or did you feel like, oh, hey, you know, it's cool, it's like anywhere else? How did that feel to live there? Initially, like I said, you walking on eggshells because this is my first time overseas. I'm in a country I really know nothing about. I'm a black man in a in a in Russia, right? So I stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, Taller than the average citizen. Right. And no, I mean, you got to remember, it's some, I mean, it's some, it's some Russian, some Russian people are, they can be, yeah, they have some size on them as well. Okay. Uh, women, women too. Right. So, uh, so not really from that standpoint, but just, just from the side, I'm an African-American man. So, so I'm already getting looked at crazy off of that. And then the fact that you might know I play basketball, you know, but you know, after like a couple of months, uh, I had a driver who, who made sure everything was straight. So I could rely on him to, you know, to make sure me and my, at the time, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, but I could make sure that, you know, we were taken care of, you know, we'd have to, under, we didn't have to worry about no language barrier. We knew he would take care of that. We knew he, you know, he, he would make sure we were safe getting in and out of places and going to places. So outside of the initial, like first two months after that, man, I, I really, I really didn't have any, I didn't have any issues. Uh, uh, but my wife could, tell you some different stories <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me ask uh you this did you were you considered a celebrity there 
I mean, obviously you stood out, but I mean, how big was basketball where you guys considered uh, the team itself considered uh, celebrities in, in Moscow? Uh, yeah, it's kind of. I mean, yes, I'll, I'll say yes. Uh, being that I was one of the, one of the you know best players on our team, uh, we we had an up and coming team at the time, but we wasn't. We weren't. We weren't the top team in Russia or in or even in Moscow. That was so. Say, at the time, let's just say. We were the Clippers of now, right? Mm -hmm. Good team, got some superstar players, but don't have championships. You know, don't have the pedigree of the Lakers. There was another team in Moscow by the name of Seska. That's like the top dog, not only in Moscow, but in Europe. They have the tradition. They have the championships, you know. So uh, so that's what we were up against. But we were up and coming. And, you know, so like so our fans dearly loved us. But those guys. You know, they had a little level, a little higher level of, of celebrity and notoriety. Well, like I said, it's an interesting story, and I'm sure And when we visit in the future, well, I mean, I'll have more questions about that because it's a very fascinating life you've lived when you think about, man, from, from you know, Durham, North Carolina to Russia to all of the different places you played in the NBA, all of that stuff. So, And then also I want to start talking with you a little bit more frequently about the NBA as we are starting to wind down the regular season and heading to uh, the postseason. But let me ask you this, uh, how can folks reach out to you on social media if they want to uh, get in contact with you well i'm on instagram and twitter and my handles are mr daniel ewing and that's mr daniel ewing my name uh, on both twitter and instagram What's and i'm more so on instagram uh-huh. but you can catch me on twitter sometimes well hey i certainly appreciate the time and I'm glad to to visit with you again and have you back aboard no man appreciate always always appreciate you having me man reaching out let's do it again anytime soon To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. I want to thank Daniel Ewing for joining us and looking forward to catching up with him about the NBA and a whole lot more. About to do what we do when we do it at the end of each episode. But first, I want to send shouts out to my man, Paul Donald, who at the Texas Southern Prairie View game the other night was rocking. He was rocking the Sports Talk with Devin Wade t-shirt. I'll let you guys know how you can get one and a coffee mug and all of that stuff in coming episodes. We're going to make that happen. But, yeah, shouts out to our guy, Paul Lenny Donald. He's our guy. Certainly appreciate him. With that, it's time for the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preserver and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports we deem to be the big dummy. Now, we easily vilify a lot of these leagues. I mean, how bad is MLB right now? Trying to shirk the responsibilities of sharing revenue with your hardworking players, your partners in baseball. Shame on you, MLB. NFL, Colin Kaepernick, all the stuff that you've done, the in bed with gambling, and then you still suspend your guy for gambling. Shame on you. Well, let's add another lead to that list. The WNBA. Now, this is what they did that makes me boo, hiss, and give them the Lamont Award. The New York Liberty were fined $500,000 for what? Not for tampering. 
not for cheating, not for artificial noise in the arena. They were fined $500,000 for chartering flights to away games in the second half of the NBA season, including an unsanctioned team trip to Napa, California. Now, the flights were bought by team owners Joe Tsai, co-founder of the Chinese tech company Alibaba, and his wife Clara, who purchased the Liberty in the NBA's Brooklyn Nets in 2019. Now, here's the deal. He did something great for his team. He made life easier for his basketball team. He and his wife, that's what they did for the New York Liberty. Did it give them a competitive advantage? Maybe marginally, but that's not their fault. Did they want to do right by somebody? But the agreement was they were not to pay for chartered flights. To that, I say boo and hiss to the WNBA. If an owner wants to take care of his team, He should be allowed to do so. And he's only being denied the right to do that because the other sorry-ass owners in the WNBA don't want to charter flights for their teams. So that is horrible. And for that reason, the WNBA, you all are big dummy. You big dummy. You get punished for doing good. I mean, hey, no good deed goes unpunished. But, man, 500 grand, and they were talking about dissolving the team because of some flights because you want to look out for your team. I mean, these are world-class athletes. They need the best accommodations. Man, they're going to have to work that out. There's more to that story. You can look for that one. But I'm telling you, even after you read five stories on the situation, the WNBA, you're still big dummies with that before i let go before i let go before i let go hey want to thank you guys for tuning in want to thank coach johnny jones want to thank daniel ewing our resident dj dj anarchy life on lock for sports e want to thank our sponsors cobank homes brighter brains want to thank everybody and remind you to give us a call 832-941-6614 that's 832-941-6614 in addition to that join us on the sports talk with Devin wade group page and like the fan page so all of those things but if you can't remember anything else Please remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.